Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody in our listening audience, and welcome once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes of which are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook. And for you audio buffs, you can get the Audible copies at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So you can listen while you work, listen while you shower, (laughs) you can listen to it any way you want. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Bill? Marvelous, marvelous. We're in for a heat wave the next few days up here, and I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to get warm tomorrow afternoon here, but I, you know, this morning I was out with Big Martha early, and it was 19 degrees, so. Yeah, that's 19. North Carolina, not North Carolina, and Bill, it's crazy, I got daffodils that have bloomed, and yet it's 19 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> The poor things here in North Carolina. They don't know if they're coming or going. (laughs) Yeah, I had you whoop bad this morning. I looked, it was 21, so take that. Ah, look at you. (laughs) New York's looking like Florida. (laughs) Oh, man, I just want some warm weather. And I keep telling myself, you know, we get through February with a couple of little warm spurts. Uh, we're on our way, you know, so thank God. Let's just keep it rolling here, boys. <laughs> I keep looking at the daffodils, so I'll have to send you a picture. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I've been carry tell- you through. Yeah, I've told Paula for years, you know, last year uh, we saw the robins start to come up early. Yeah. And I said to Paula, I says, you know, me and my faith, I says, God doesn't send these birds up here to die. Yeah. So they're they're always an early harbinger of an early spring if they come uh, right. sooner than later. So I always have my eyes peeled for the robins' arrival. We've had a ton of them around. Um, I don't know if they ever go away down here though, but I have seen a lot lately. So that's a good sign, I guess. Good. Yeah. Now that's good stuff, man. <laughs> Very cool. So what do we have tonight, my brother, in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yeah, this week, Bill, we're going to go to the news. And okay. uh, we're going to go to Illinois, the great state of Illinois. And the Southern Illinoisan 
publication online, the E-Edition, just ran a story on February 10th of 2022 by a gentleman named Isaac Smith called Strange Sightings in Little Egypt. Do cryptids live in southern Illinois? Well, if you believe our podcast, we know they live in southern <laughs> exactly, Illinois. Exactly, exactly. And these, these go back in time, but it's a couple of sightings, and it's kind of interesting. So I thought we'd cover that. And we, we haven't covered Illinois much, right? I mean, maybe a little bit. But you'll, he- you'll hear in this story, um, they believe they have a lot of uh, hairy man roaming around there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We've had reports come in from that area. We haven't read them all on the podcast yet, but there's a lot we haven't read on the podcast. Right. But uh, we have them. All right. Well, here we go. So Ange Dixon doesn't know what she saw, but she knows she's not crazy. My commentary commentary says at least she thinks she's not crazy, right? (laughs) We all think we're not crazy. Uh, But she says, I can't tell you what exactly it was, she said, recalling a time nearly 20 years ago when she, her daughter, and now ex-husband were driving near Maconda, Illinois, in the small hours of one February morning. She says it was around 2 a.m. Snow was falling. Dixon said she was driving with her then 10-year-old daughter to pick up her husband from his brother's house. On the way back, she was driving near Maconda when she saw what she thought were mailbox reflectors. As she got closer, and she thought it was a mountain lion. But at about 25 feet away, she realized she was wrong again. I realized that it wasn't a mountain lion that it was actually crouched down in the middle of the road holding something. Oh, boy. Yeah. We just sat there and were watching it. It just stood up, and it was huge. Hmm. She said it was completely black with defined muscles. All I could focus on was its eyes. Red and yellow glowing eyes. Wow. She said, then it took off and it was gone. Dixon's daughter was the first to speak up. She was like, was that a Bigfoot mom? Dixon admitted her sighting doesn't always make her popular. I get laughed at all the time, Dixon said. It's like, I'm not fibbing. I'm not lying. I'm not saying what it is because I don't know what it was. I have no clue. But that's what I saw, she said. Wow. Yeah, something else, right? I think it's pretty cool that her daughter said to it, too. Was that a Bigfoot? Yeah, well, what else is it? I know. It kind of comes right into the front of your mind when you see these things, what it is. No doubt about it. So now they get into some of the other stuff that's going on in southern Illinois. So the, the author writes, she's not alone, far from it. Monster sightings are woven into the fabric of southern Illinois. The Tuttlebottoms monster, monster in Saline County. The Big Muddy in Jackson County. 
Big black cats, giant snakes, and little red men are all familiar folktales. For some, they are far more than folklore. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, it's crazy. And of course, we've hit on the big muddy a couple of times. We have, absolutely. Wow, that is nuts. Very cool, right? L- little red men? Yeah, I don't know about that one. I was wondering about the Hoptington Goblins. Was that was Hoptington in Illinois? I forget. It was somewhere out there in the Midwest. No, I thought the uh, Hoptington... I think that was Kentucky, go- right? Yeah, they were down south. Those are the yeah. things they were shooting at on the roof of the cabin. Exactly. Those nasty little creeps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, get back, get back to that lady for a second. Sure. You know, interesting, though, how she ran through the checklist of first yeah, thinking. Yeah, 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 thinking it's a cougar, right? Right. Uh, well, initially, mailbox reflectors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Then the possibility of a cougar crouched down on the ground. Right. And then the reality of this thing rising up. Giant hairy man in the road. Yeah. But she didn't say what it was crouched down on. I I was almost waiting to hear that it was something. It had something, but she didn't mention what it was. Yeah, yeah. But it it is something where like giant hairy man is not on the initial checklist. That's probably good, right? It gives her credibility. Yeah, to me it does because <laughs> you know you're not thinking in those terms, right? Giant hairy man. Well, I mean, it's like you look up the sky at night and you see something weird. You're like, oh, is that an airplane? You don't say, whoa, that's a flying saucer. You know. Yeah. Not first. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kevin. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. So uh-huh. um, we talk. they talk about other sightings of monsters peaking in the 1970s and 80s, and even getting the attention of periodicals like the New York Times. So they go on here with uh, Carbondale, a town there, the attorney there called Christian Burrell. His anecdote of seeing the beast made it into that report in the New York Times. So Burrell, in an interview last year, recalled the incident from 1973. He said he was three years old, playing in a sandbox with his neighbor. It was getting towards dusk in the Westwood Hills neighborhood. After his buddy went home, Burrell stayed and he he stayed outside playing in the sandbox. As I was out there, I saw something. I don't really remember the actual seeing of it, Burrell said. I mean, keep in mind, he's three years old, right? Yeah. He said he turned around and looked up at the house. The lights were all on as night set in and the windows glowed. Burrell said he had one thought. Mommy? While the monster itself isn't clear in his head, some parts of his memory of the night are. To this day, I have a really clear picture of being really afraid and turning around and looking at the house, Burrell said. When he went inside to tell his parents what he had seen, they weren't too concerned. His dad, still dressed from work, was on the kitchen floor replacing a hinge on the refrigerator. Okay, that's fine. It's time to go to bed, is what Burrell remembers being told when he announced his encounter. It wasn't until later that evening that his parents took it a bit more seriously. 
He said a neighbor called his mother to say that one of her children had seen something in the neighborhood. The neighbor who called Burrill said was a very conservative woman and not prone to exaggeration. Burrill's mother told the neighbor to call the police. The police came out and they brought tracking dogs, though he admitted he was in bed at the time. The neighborhood was out listening to something crashing through the bushes back behind the house. Burrill said the story goes that the police chased it all the way to a barn in the woods. But Burrill said that the dogs were too scared to go into the barn. And so it got away. (laughs) Now, Kev, he must have picked up on some of this information later in his life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from his mother and father. Sure, sure. Because I was going to say, I don't have too many memories of three years old. Oh, no, 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 no. It's But, you know, Bill, you remember traumatic things. You're going to laugh at this. But I have a vivid memory. And, you know, when I tell you what this is, you'll be like, you were like three years old then. But I remember mom and dad had that green Chevy Impala. Oh, yeah. Right? What was it, like a 60 or 61 Impala? Yeah, yep, yep. And we broke down... Somewhere up on I-95 or I-83, I-93, heading up to New Hampshire. Yeah, I remember that. The car car needed a generator. Yeah. And I remember that like yesterday, Bill. Huh. Being on the side of the road, seeing all the car lights whipping by, seeing the taillights, and, you know, just being on the side of the road in the dark. Wondering what the heck is going on. And when I told mom and dad that years later, they said, you were like three years old, maybe two years old. Wow. I can't remember anything else, but I remember like everybody must have been really upset. Kind of like if somebody saw a Bigfoot, you know. Yeah, I don't remember how that panned out, but we did. I do remember us being in a garage and the guy had a uh, generator or got one and put it in. See, I must have been sleeping then, because I don't remember any of that, but I remember being on the side of the road. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember how how it quite panned out, like how much time went by, but, um, you know, that 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 is a true story. I mean, we were there, I was there, and I remember it like you do. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking 15 minutes went by, Dad called AAA on his mobile phone at the time, and they picked up the car. <laughs> oh, wait, maybe it didn't happen that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, those were the days, man, right, a dead generator. Yeah. And then the guy popped it right in, it was at night. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was at night, the guy popped it in, but again... A generator at that shoot, I could change a generator on my car back then in probably 15 minutes with a couple of tools, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, but not anymore. When you open the hood on your car now, you're not changing any uh, <laughs> an, an alternator in 15 minutes. Yeah, I can't even find the alternator in my car. <laughs> I, I remember. You know, Bill, I'm pretty mechanically inclined. These modern cars, man, what the heck? I don't even know yeah, what... I can't tell what's what. I'm afraid to touch it. I came out to my car once next to a building in Hicksville, and uh, the water pump had crapped out while it was parked. And water out, I could see it was it was shot. 
So I called up Dad and asked him if he could bring me a water pump and my toolbox. So a while went by, and he showed up over in Hicksville. I had the old water pump out, the new one in, and was driving home in less than 30 minutes. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) That's a NASCAR pit stop. (laughs) I'd say F1, but they wouldn't even change it. It's like, forget (laughs) it. We're done. But, you know, back then, if you had done a water pump, uh, there was plenty of room to work. Yeah. Uh, It was an easy in and out, uh, relieve tension on the belt. Uh, probably six bolts, scrape a gasket off with a razor blade knife, boom, 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 snug it up, and uh, you were I was going to say, way. the gasket's usually the hardest part, right, on that. Yeah, you just, uh, I always kept a flat-edge razor blade in my uh, box on, with like a handle. Yeah. Uh, specifically for scraping off, uh, it wasn't my first time at the rodeo doing a water pump, you know, those things. Yeah, you didn't have all the pollution control stuff on there where you can't even find a water pump today. Yeah, no, it was very relatively easy job. Yeah. And uh, that's funny how you remember that. So this little kid. Same thing, Bill, same thing. That green Chevy, and I don't think I, I, I remember any other memory of the green Chevy. (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, it wasn't like it was a car that we had for a really long time or something like that. Yeah, it just, uh, I don't even know what, you know, I'd like to have a car like that today. Oh, those Impalas? Forget it. Yeah, yeah they were cool. Yeah. But th- this kid, though, funny that he should fall back on this. I wonder what his feelings are about Bigfoot today, you know, if he's somebody that leans towards you know believing and maybe looking around now you know having had that recollection of that yeah i mean i think the fact that he's in this story that tells you the answer right like if he thought he was just crazy or something he wouldn't talk about it so there's one more little bit here so sure uh but but it's got a great description so i have to hit on it. it's real short but the monster cropped up again about 15 years later in murfreesboro And according to stories published in the Southern Illinoisan at that time, Bob Riemann told reporters that he encountered the beast, which he said smelled terrible, at his salvage yard in 1988. Hmm. Riemann described it as 10 feet tall, with red eyes and yellow teeth. And his mother told the Southern Illinoisan it smelled like a skunk that fell in the sewer. <laughs> Any I never other heard adjectives? that description before, Bill, but that's pretty good, right? Like a skunk that <laughs> fell in the sewer. <laughs> hey, you know, people just try to dig up a couple of the nastiest stenches they can imagine, and that's it. That's pretty nasty. I got to go with that one. <laughs> and uh, he talks about it that at the time, the, the author talks about it, that at the time he actually provided sketches of this creature to the newspaper. But I couldn't find any of the sketches. But Wow. I'm going to keep you know, looking for the sketch. And if I find it, folks, I'm going to put it up under episode 138 at our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Yeah, and guys, once again, if you're from that region and you've got any input 
about the big muddy, the hairy man, the skunk that fell in the sewer. (laughs) (laughs) Ten foot tall skunk that fell in the sewer. Ten foot tall. That's one big skunk, man. That's one big skunk. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have some some good stank on it. (laughs) If you have any input uh, as far as your own sightings or anything you've heard from others, you know, uh, get back to us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com and uh, chime in with the discussion. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's something else, Kev. I mean, there's definitely something going on there in southern Illinois. Oh, yeah. Uh, even way up north. Uh, I forget who it was. Somebody was uh, reporting one day uh, how the state's uh, biodiversity is very different north to south. Hmm. So... Uh, it's amazing. You know, it's just amazing how much is going on out there. I only wish we had more people. Uh, Coming forward well, and talking about it, right? And yeah, we do just, have a good well, amount, but that would be fantastic. I agree with it. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, well, there's no, there's no doubt about it. For every one we hear from, there's probably a thousand others uh, that aren't saying anything, you know? Yeah. Boy, that's crazy. Well, excellent uh, little exegesis. On those couple of accounts, then it's interesting to get a little diversity going, you know, as to who sees what, where, when, and how, you know. Yep. It's like a little collage of Bigfoot. I agree. I agree. And I got something pretty interesting here. Not that it's from a three year old, but uh, this account was told to me by a guy named Joe Redmond, who had heard it from his grandfather. And But this account is the way Joe presented it to me. I think it was around 1980 or 81 that my grandfather had come for a visit. I was 21 or 22 at the time, depending on the year. Now, Grandpa was quite the character. And he was always goofing around and trying to make light of dark things. However, he was also quite sincere if you took the time to sit down with him for a conversation. Sometime during the evening, this conversation turned towards the Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin Bigfoot film. I don't even recall what exactly started us down that path. But we began to talk about the film clip. At that time in my life, I thought I had heard every story that Grandpa had to tell at least ten times over. But this night was going to bring me a new one. He broke into the conversation with a somewhat serious tone and said, You know, Grandma and I saw one of these critters back in Colorado in the 30s. We were stunned about what we had just heard. And I spoke up and asked him to tell us about it, knowing that no story from Grandpa was ever going to be a short one. We were about to hear about the whole affair from start to finish. Now, when Grandpa told the story, you'd best not laugh at him or disrespect him in any way. He was all business and all truth when it came to his stories. He was a man's man. 
Grandpa wasn't rich, but he wasn't poor either. He and my grandma had moved to Colorado Springs because he was the sole regional representative for a large mining supply company. There was plenty of mining going on in that entire region at the time, so it was both necessity and convenience that brought them to the area to live. He started to tell us that he and Grandma used to stay for the night at a place called the Cheyenne Lodge every couple of months. I guess it was a little retreat for them. He said that the round trip to the lodge from Colorado Springs was about 24 miles. I found it incredible that he could remember such a thing, but he always had a memory like a vice. He said that the Cheyenne Lodge was located at the top of Cheyenne Mountain, and at the summit, you were at 9,200 feet above sea level. The toll at the base of the mountain, he said, was a dollar, and the trip to the summit was one of the most breathtaking rides and views that one could ever see. For most people in those days and times, a buck was a lot of money to pay for the toll, and many people didn't even have a car suitable to safely make the climb or the descent. Things weren't as they are today. He told us some people lost their brakes and their lives on the mountain. But he bragged that his straight-eight Ford was up to the climb every time. He told us the ascent was accomplished by a zigzag course with an average grade of 7.5% to no more than 10%, and that the road was a minimum of 20 feet wide covered with crushed granite for traction. He also mentioned that cars could pass each other anywhere on the road. He he recalled with vivid detail many of the points along the road as you climbed. Hell's Gate, Spiral Shelves, Paradise Trail, Cloud Land Loop, Swing Sublime, Vista Grand Swing, Multi Vista Swing, and Devil's Horns each offering some type of spectacular view or formation that was unforgettable to the eyes. His recollection was that they had taken this trip some 15 or 20 times while living there. They also had one of the best zoos in America alongside of the road at Swing 2, as he called it. When you reached the top, Cheyenne Lodge was there at the summit. He said it was like a small white castle with a rock wall and stairs leading you inside. I believe he said it was Southwest Indian architecture. He and Grandma thought it was the most unique and beautiful structure they had ever seen, and they loved this place. Inside, there was a large and spacious lounge area where you could see many valuable Indian artifacts. There was also an enclosed glass observation deck, both lunch and dining rooms, and a few guest rooms for those who wanted to stay the night. They had a custom of stopping to take into view by Vista Grand Swing on every trip. This was their favorite observation point, and he said on a clear day you could see for 100 miles from there. 
the rolling hills, trees, and mountains being always in view. On this particular day, they stood looking at a hillside with many pines growing on it. In between the pines, there were a few open areas where the hillside could be seen, and the ground was sandy-colored with contrasted dark green pine trees that surrounded it. You could see other mountains and snow-covered peaks off in the distance as well, which is why they like to stop here. On many occasions, he and my grandmother had seen wildlife walking on the slopes, especially on this particular slope. As fate would have it, while he and my grandma stood gazing out at the landscape on one of their trips, they saw what seemed like two large gorillas emerge from the trees on the hillside, walking on two legs. Grandpa said the hill was not so far away that they couldn't tell what they were looking at. He estimated the distance that they saw the creatures walk was about 800 yards or so before they walked into another group of trees and vanished from view. There were very few people hanging around outside at that time because it was too warm. Certainly, nobody would be walking in the mountains while covered in black from head to toe. He also said that the creatures were very tall and based on the way they were walking, had unusually long arms. My father asked why he had never heard the story before. Grandpa said that the one time he had started talking about it many years earlier, he almost got into a scuffle with the man he was talking to, since the guy told him that he was full of you-know-what. After that, Grandma told him it would be better to keep it to himself. And so he did. And that was a story from the 1930s, my friends. Mountain gorillas walking in the hills of Colorado. What do you think of that, Kev? Man, I love that account, Bill. Kind of weird, huh? Yeah, I mean, I I love it, though, because, you know, whenever I'm... I spend a lot of time out in Colorado and -hmm. a lot of time in the mountains in Colorado. And... uh, Whenever you're there, you like you look around and you're like, there's just so much wilderness. I mean, anything could go on out there. You know, I mean, there's still people panning for gold right along the road. Yeah, I mean, 1939. Yeah, jeez. And uh, the guy, you know, I mean... It's a simple thing, right? He's not trying to embellish anything that his grandfather said. He's just describing what he stored, saw, and uh, uh, the background leading up to it. And really, the event of seeing the Bigfoot was like, wham, bam, thank you, man, over and done with relatively quickly. Yeah, and I love, uh, I mean, his grandfather sounds like a cool dude, right? Like where he's almost getting into the scuffle with somebody, you know, who's saying, you're crazy, man. You're like, what are you talking about? And then, you know, him wanting to stand up for himself and then also, you know, being strong enough to not when his wife tells him, like, you should probably just keep that to yourself. Like, doesn't matter what they think. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And of course, she was a witness, too, with him. Absolutely. So, you know, but uh, 
interesting how, how he said he wasn't far enough away to not be able to tell what he was looking at. Right. And he didn't call it a Bigfoot. There was no term Bigfoot. Uh, no. And nobody knew the the Native American term of Sasquatch back then either. Right, right. Uh, so he, a goblin he, or whatever else. But you know, I like the. I also like how he talked about how its arms were so long, you know, and stuff like that. Like you hear that a lot in the descriptions if they don't use Bigfoot or Sasquatch in some of these old descriptions. Yeah, and also again, just making the. Uh, Taking the presumptive leap that on a warm day, nobody's going to be hiking around up there in the yeah. hills wearing black yeah. from head to toe. No. I don't, see, I don't see anybody around here wearing black from head to toe hiking around. No. No way. So, you know, it just... I don't uh, have... You know, I do a lot of hiking. I don't have any black hiking gear. <laughs> no. No, you just don't do that, you know? No. But... uh Really interesting, you know, Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado. And the detail that the, even the young guy, Joe Redman, recalls about his father's uh, describing his straight-eight Ford having no problem with <laughs> it and knowing the details about the grade of the road and the width and, you know, the, the zoo at the bottom of the hill or whatever he said and... So, obviously, they knew the place well if they had been there over a dozen times, you know. Sounds like a good motor, Bill. Can you get me one of those? Yeah. <laughs> a straight eight Ford. <laughs> Flathead eight. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it, man. I mean, that is, it's, it's just a cool account in its simplicity from a time, uh, quite a long time ago. What are we looking at, Kev, now? 80? 80-something years, right? 83, yeah. 84 years. No doubt about it. Long time wow. ago. You know, if you could plug yourself into Colorado Springs back then, boy, I bet you it was a vastly different place. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great place now. So, yeah. So I, I can't well, imagine. Let me ask you something. Back in that day and time, did they have uh, ski lifts? That's a good question. Were they skiing back? I would say yes. Yeah, I just wonder when uh, decent commercial ski lifts came, whether they were those little T-poles or a single chair. Or yeah. Some, I wonder when something that was viable really came into play around the country at some of the more major ski resorts. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I would think then, yes. But don't forget, people still skied a lot, even if they had to hike up the mountain. Yeah, yeah. to me, that would have been like, how many times a day would you do that? Yeah, we're going to walk up 4,000 feet, we'll come down once, then we're going home. Yeah, well, that might be the case, you know, but it would be yeah. more than uh, you ever did before, right? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it really made the run worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, people do it now when they want to ski the freshest snow, right? They do the backcountry there in Colorado. They And it was a big problem, actually, in COVID, at the height of COVID, because people would just park on the side of the road and uh, hike up the mountain with their skis or a snowboard and, you know, ski down. 
and there were cars everywhere. Really? You know, just yeah. parked because the mountains were closed. You know, the lifts were closed. But people still want to ski even if they only get one or two runs in. Well, I can't even believe hiking up the side of a mountain in the snow. <laughs> Maybe when I was younger. Certainly not now. <laughs> no way, man. I don't want to walk across my backyard in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> With no skis. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Well, so there you have it. I mean, it was a pretty interesting uh, account and some interesting little stuff from uh, southern Illinois. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool stuff. Yeah. So what do we have, brother? What do we have in our uh, listener mail today? Well, we go back uh, here. The first letter that comes in is from Lyle in California. And he's commenting on the episode last week about the Overmountain Trail. And he says, hi, guys. Greetings from Southern California. I'm listening to the recent episode mentioning the Overmountain Trail. The arduous trek is reenacted every year, ending at Kings Mountain National Military Park, commemorating the battle on October 7th, 1780. Oh, Those participating in the reenactment wear period clothing and carry their own long rifles. I attended the ending ceremony back in 2003, and it was a remarkable event. My personal connection to the Battle of Kings Mountain is an ancestor who was on the losing side and gave his life for the cause. Hmm. If you ever have the opportunity, this is something to see. Bye for now, Lyle. So I wish I, you know, out of ignorance, I make the statement I'm about to make. Mm -hmm. I wish Lyle would have given us a little more juice. Was he discussing the same fight that occurred when those uh, backwoods guys? That's what I think he's talking about. That trail. That's the way I read it, because. Kings Mountain, that's that's the mountain where the battle was, right? Yeah. Now, according according to the account attached to the Bigfoot story, these Tennessean backwoods guys, or whatever they called themselves, uh, when they heard the threat coming from the British, British uh, major, whatever he was, they said, oh, yeah? And they made the hike, and that was the end of it for that guy. Mm. So... I took out of that story that the uh, Americans won. So is Lyle saying that his relative was well, one of the Well, when you Brits? say the Americans, I, well, I, I, I don't know. I was thinking it was uh, Civil War. So I guess I'm, because he's saying 1780. So that would be the Revolutionary War. So I, I don't understand that, Bill. Yeah, I'm a little whacked out about that. Yeah. If it would be it would be the Revolutionary War and Absolutely. it would be people who weren't quite Americans yet. Yeah. Uh fighting with the British. Yeah. So, so I don't know uh, about that. I mean Lyle, let us know. I got confused yeah. by that as well, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Give us a little more juice in that, Lyle. I know you're listening and just fill us in on some of the details just for our own information. But uh, interesting, though, Kev, again, that somebody would chime in about uh, 
some uh, little unknown details about the uh, the fight after having mentioned it. You know, exactly. Cool stuff. I like the idea of this reenactment too, though. I'm going to have to look look that up and see if I can find some info on it. Yeah, I'm just drawing a blank on the name those guys called themselves. Was it the Backwoods guys? The Backwater no, it was guys? Something else. Something else. It was, wasn't it? Had it had like a I, mean I'm, connotation to it, but I can't think of it. Yeah, I can't either. I wish I could. But uh, anyways, they took it to them, you know? No doubt. All right, well, we're no, going to shift gears. We're going to go okay. to Letter from Greg. And I don't have to worry about him not mentioning me because the subject is Martha. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, hello, fellas. The last episode... KJ mentioned Martha liked apples. I have three dogs that also love apples. My family thinks my dogs are ridiculous, but they also <laughs> love bananas. And by the way, Greg, my dog, Martha, loves bananas too. She often sits in front of me while I'm eating a banana and I have to save the last bite for her. Like I pull it out of the peel and hand it to her. And it's kind of funny watching the dog eat a banana because the texture is so strange. Like she chops on it like it was a steak or something. But it's a banana. <laughs> and then he writes, but I have to say that their favorite is a toss-up between chicken nuggets or graham crackers. Every time I hit a McDonald's, I grab a four-piece nugget for my little buddies. Thought you might get a kick out of that. And by the way, so Martha... No on chicken nuggets. I mean, I'm sure she'll eat them because she's a Labrador retriever. But, man, any vegetable or fruit, she will take over meat any day of the week. It's the craziest thing. Wow. And, of course, no chicken McNuggets for uh, Martha because you're not giving her any. No, I don't (laughs) eat them and she ain't getting them. Oh, I was going to say you're keeping them all for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's true of the chocolate chip cookies. Uh, you know, as some people may say, isn't this a show about Bigfoot? Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's also about the people that chime in with us, the audience. and Yeah, uh, and we're getting to the cryptids here in the rest of the letter, Bill. Okay. He says, good, and oh, by good. the way, did either one of you try the dog man scotch ale that I sent you a while back? So, so Greg, first of all, I didn't get any dog man scotch ale. My brother drank all of that. <laughs> and Martha didn't get it either. We don't even know what the can looks like. <laughs> well, listen, listen to me, Greg. In my left hand, as I sit by this desk, I have the unopened All package. Right. So you're saving it for me to come up there. Yeah. And, All right. Well, uh, we're coming soon. We're just waiting for you guys to stop having snow. <laughs> And it's still got uh, Greg's address on it. I won't tell you where it is, but he is from Saginaw. All right. Well, save it because I'm coming that way, Bill. And, Greg, we will definitely reach out to you. Maybe we'll have a little conference call from up in New York and talk about the Dogman Scotch Ale. But but get this, Bill. He says, well, if you haven't, maybe save it for the next time the black-eyed children are at your door. Hook them up with a dogman ale and send those creepy little bastards on their way. <laughs> I love it, Craig. 
And he says, I was just going to say, my plan is that the next time I know my brother's around, uh, I'm going to put them in the refrigerator to chill them down and hope they're still good. Oh, they're good. <laughs> I'm sure they're good. And he says, keep up the good work, and I'd like to send some prayers Paula's way. So we, we appreciate that. He says, God bless, Greg. Excellent. Greg. Good Excellent. stuff, Greg. Yeah, we like that. <laughs> All but right. Listen, I, Go ahead, I'm not going to waste. I'm not going to waste this beer on no black-eyed kid. No, I was thinking like maybe we drink the beer and smack him with the empty can in the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flatten the can out in his beak. You know, my brother lives in New York, so we can't really throw some lead and leave some brass casings on the ground, you know. But if it was down here in North Carolina, that's how it would go down. (laughs) Hey, you know, I got to say something. And if anybody out there knows the reason why. Well, Bill, I got to interrupt you. Go ahead. The Apaches are coming over the house. Really? Can you hear them? I hear them. Yeah. Big squad. That's it. That's incredible. Yeah, that's got to be like ten. It's nighttime, folks, so I can't look out. But this, that's got to be ten of them. That's really loud. That's crazy loud, Kev. I mean, they're like coming over you. No, my window's rattling here next to me. That's nuts. I wish I was there because you know I love all this stuff, Kev. I'd be outside. I'd run out of the shower with a towel wrapped around me just to oh, watch You should go see over. me out at the coast when the V-22 Ospreys and the Cobra gunships come down in, like, the 7 formation down the beach at 100 feet, man. I come running out of the house, you know, the headset over my head. Like, I got to see it, even though I see them all the time. But it's like, Yeah, yeah it's just a, it's an amazing stuff. thing, you know. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, something about... <laughs> <laughs> Something about black-eyed children. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, no, I wanted to ask this question to the listeners. Yeah. Can somebody explain to me, if you know the reason, why for the past year and a half now, nobody has uh, uh, shotgun ammunition in the stores? Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's uh, because we started to talk about the fact, without getting too political, that every bullet was going to be registered. And as soon as uh, the White House said that, everybody bought every bullet that was available. Do you know I never even heard that? Oh, yeah. Not only were we going to register guns, and folks, don't write me with the political statements. You don't even know my political position. But that's what happened. It was kind of like, not only will guns be registered, which is not a bad thing, um, but bullets would be registered. And when we started saying that, boy, you couldn't get a bullet anywhere. So I don't get it now. Where are we at with this? Oh, no. I can't, shotgun shells I, are coming back now. I can get them in yeah, Walmart. Ke- well, Kev, I haven't seen a box of shells in Dick's Sporting Goods oh. or Walmart in probably two years. Well, don't look in Dick's because they stopped selling shotgun shells as a political statement. No ammo in dicks. But Walmart's oh, I didn't know got that. It. Yeah, Walmart's got it with no masks and uh, and plenty of ammo. <laughs> but they're coming back. Yeah. But there was probably a year, Bill, you couldn't get shotgun shells. No, it's, it's longer than that over here. And okay. if you go down to the range, 
They're hitting you for $15 a box at 25 oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you could get it at the range, but you're right. It was really expensive. And no, not, not just shotgun that. shells, all ammo. Yeah, I'm not paying that. Yeah. No, I know. It's it. It doesn't even matter that I have the money. I'm not paying that. No, I know. It's ridiculous. But it was hard to get. I mean, uh, I was shooting at the range some 9mm shells that came from Russia um, that had this uh, beryllium steel casing instead of wow. brass. Wow. It, was, it was pretty wild. It was actually kind of cool shells because they they fired so hot that when you shot it out of the gun, it had like this star pattern of flames that came out. <laughs> yeah, there had to be military. I don't know what it was, but, you know, yeah, it's what you could Beryllium. get at the time. Yeah, it looked like the flash behind a little yeah, missile. exactly. I still have some around, and I took some out to the range, and I was shooting them, and they yelled at me, you know, because they don't want the steel shells mixed in. I guess they recycle all the brass. Yeah. Yes, shame like, on you for mixing your steel in with brass. I was like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah, crazy. All right, stuff. so you think they're coming back? You think that someday? Yeah, in we're the recovering. Future? It's part of the whole supply chain mess. But my opinion, and folks, write in. You can tell me why it happened. I mean, part of it was just the whole supply chain mess, right? Like you couldn't, and you still can't get a car and stuff like that because of all the supply chain problems with high-tech stuff and shipping and labor and the ports, etc. No doubt about it, that contributed to it. But I was told back then that, you know, when it first started, it was when we started to talk about registering bullets, just like when folks thought that they wouldn't be able to buy guns in the future. I mean, I remember going out to lunch here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and seeing one of the gun shops here where there's never anybody there, you know, never more than four or five people, and there were like 150 people lined up around the building. Just to go in and buy anything. Buy anything they could get their hands on before they weren't able to buy anything. I wonder how the supply chain is affecting Sasquatch. <laughs> Hopefully he can still get burgers. <laughs> and hikers. I think there and were hikers. more hikers out than ever before, though, due to the pandemic. So that's the good news for Sasquatch. Yeah, I, I wonder how many have disappeared in the past year. <laughs> All right, we're going to New Mexico now, Bill. Okay. From Grace. This is a cool letter. She says, I love the podcast, and I wouldn't change a thing. What do you make of these skinwalker beings? There has been talk in our neck of the woods for as long as I've been alive. Thanks, Grace. Well, Kev, now that you've been around this for a little while, do you have any opinions on uh, a skinwalker and what it may or may not be? Yeah, I definitely think it's uh, some type of uh, evil thing. From below the ground, which, you know, we haven't talked about it, Bill, but I wanted to mention to you. So Skinwalker Ranch, the series, should be coming back, right? You mentioned that a while back. But I've been watching right. the Blind Frog Blind, Blind Frog Ranch. Have you been watching yeah. that? Every minute of it, oh, that place will freak you out. And that's like next door to the Skinwalker Ranch. And did you yeah. see the video that they showed of that 
thing that looked like a guy kind of dancing around, like spazzing out, that showed up on one of their trail cams? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, both of those locations, Blind Frog Ranch and Skinwalker, are in the Uinta Basin. Yeah. It's the same area. Utah, Uinta Uh, Basin, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there is some really freaky, deaky All stuff going on All kinds of weird stuff going on there. I mean, and and the military there, and top secret stuff, the black helicopters, the, yep. um, you know, conduct the ground conducting electricity, unlike any other ground around, and, yep. and the uh, radi- radioactive elements, I mean, underwater streams, like, what the heck? I don't know what's going I'm, on. But, but Grace, I, I think these skinwalker things are something that is going on out there. And the Native Americans talked about it forever, and they're still seeing the, seeing the critters. Yeah. Weird footprints found on the ground. Yeah, animal mutilations. You see it at uh, the Blind Frog. They got the cattle mutilations. No explanation. How about those couple of big cows that were all blown up and blown and left out dead and all of a sudden they're gone? Just random cow and the ground underneath it appears to be burned or singed. And right. the cow's gone that they saw the day before. It looked like it weighed a thousand pounds. Right. No tracks, no blueprints, yeah. nothing to leading cow? up to or away. What happened to it? Yeah. No explanation. What a bizarre, yeah. what a bizarre I don't know. freaking placement. Yeah, Grace. So I think these uh, skinwalkers are just freaking demonic as all get out. Uh, anything that scares people and hurts people and kills people uh, is definitely. Uh, uh, from the wrong location. <laughs> <laughs> you know, wrong I mean, zip code. And, yeah, and these, uh, the uh, Native American peoples, uh, many of them have been outspoken about it, those who talk about it, and some of them really don't even want to talk about no, it. It's that them. bad to them. I don't blame them either. Yeah, they they almost feel like if they do talk about it, they may be bringing it in. Yeah. So, uh, all right. And our last letter bill comes in from Amy. Sorry, not Amy. Arnie. I can't read. In Quebec. I've never seen a Bigfoot, but know those who say they have. I enjoy the show and the mix you fellas bring to the table. I know you feel there are a couple of different things going on here with these creatures. Would you elaborate on that? Great show. What do you think, Bill? What are the different things that are going on with these creatures? Well, uh, Arnie is probably fairly new to the uh, podcast, and we appreciate you having along, having uh, having you along for the ride. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I make no bones about it, Kev, that I think there's two things going on here. You know, uh, I think one is a flesh and blood creature. And then I think it's something else shifting out of another dimension, which to me brings into mind the uh, demonic realm. Uh, There's definitely a reason why something can move along and not leave a track and something can move along and leave a track. Uh, And, of course, the many, many uh, sightings that have been had to date where these things seem to shift in and out of view... Uh, uh, 
I've seen uh, infrared where these things seem to go behind like a curtain or a straight edge in the woods uh, and just disappear. They don't appear, reappear, fragmented behind leaves of another bush passing behind it. They just go behind this edge and they're gone. Hmm. Uh, flesh and blood creatures don't do that. Right. Now, where they're going is anybody's guess. I don't know. You don't know. And Arnie doesn't know. But, uh, you know, unless you or I step behind the corner of a cinder block building on the street, uh, you don't disappear from view out in the woods. You know, hmm. you're going to appear, especially especially under infrared, you're going to appear somewhere because you're going to have to come out eventually or walk behind a bush or something that doesn't conceal your entire body. Yep. Yeah, so that's a, a freaking strange thing, man. Wild. You know, with a lot of the physicists, not that we need them, uh, and no disrespect to some of the good work they do, uh, but they're talking about other dimensions now and have been for probably the past 10 years, uh, the, the reality. And now they're confronting, you know, the UFO phenomena. Like, where do these things blink in and out of? Oh, yeah. I mean, and longer than that, Bill. The sure. physicists have been talking about black holes and stuff. You know, That's Einstein right. talking about it, you know, maybe not in that same, so same words, but understanding that, you know, space and time were not fully understood. Well, um, listen, the only the only way you could travel great distances in space uh, would be to be able to go through. Michio Kaku was talking about it one day. Uh Comparing it to like a piece of paper folded up, yep, and like and like ants crawling around the outside of that paper, uh, you know, you'd have to be able to fold space uh, over overlap it into itself. I I I I don't have words to describe it right now, and I didn't want to open up the conversation or going through like a wormhole. Yeah, where you could. Enter one place and end up on another place, having just gone through the hole instead of the whole distance. Absolutely. So I mean, it's really that's the only way to do it. And uh, or, you know, do the old, which is a bit of time travel or, you know, go to sleep, you know, and be in some kind of suspended animation like they do in the sci fi movies. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where you're not aging and things like that, but you're asleep for many, 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 many years. And then you're able to wake up on the ship. But who knows? Who knows how we're going to do it? We talked about it in a couple of the last podcasts. But let's talk for a minute, Bill. While we were chatting, I looked up uh, skiing. And it turns out that they say after the 1932 Winter Olympics were held in Lake Placid, New York, interest okay. in skiing grew exponentially in the U.S., and not long after, in 1940, Winter Park was designated as the first major ski area in Colorado. But other ski areas existed already, so before 1940. But Winter Park was the first one that was accessible for folks that lived on the Front Range. Uh, so basically, you know, Front Range is like where Denver is. Okay. So, which makes sense, because even today, folks, when you drive out to Winter Park or Vail, Aspen, from Denver, it's hairy. 
you know, even in four-wheel drive on I-70, it is downright hairy. I can't imagine how it was in 1930. <laughs> yeah, driving those kind of cars with rear-wheel drive Oh, and stuff. no way. And that's before the highways were there. Yeah, and drum brakes. Oh, dude, I... But that still didn't answer the question, though, which was, uh, what about the chairlifts? Chairlift is after that. It looks like uh, i, I got to look into it more. But maybe actually the railroads invented the chairlift as we know it today. But they probably had something that could pull you up or ride you up, you know, on a, some a kind of early snowcat or a rope or something. Yeah, pull you up. And definitely up, hiking yeah. up. I mean, people still do it today. So I don't, mm. I don't think they didn't do it then. You know, I mean. Yeah. They're hardcore. Yeah, you'd have to be, man. <laughs> yeah. And they do talk about the fact that after World War II, uh, the 10th Division, you know, which is the guys that used to uh, climb up the mountains with skis and stuff like that in Europe, that a lot of them came back uh, to Colorado and they were directly responsible for you know, some for forming some of the giant ski areas of Colorado. Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting history there. So check it out, folks. But Very that's good. it this week, Bill. Great podcast. And folks, again, if you haven't left us a five-star review lately, and certainly if you've never left us a five-star review, get on it. Go to your favorite podcast player and give us five stars and write a little review and tell people why you love us because that's really the only way we have, the only means we have of attracting new listeners to the podcast. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. And remember, if you find yourself wandering around in New Mexico, Colorado Springs, Southern Illinois... You better remember one thing, folks. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>